0: We don't make policy here, gentlemen. Elected officials, civilians do that. We are the instruments of that policy. And although we're not at war, we must always act as though we are at war. In case some of you wonder who the best is, they're up here on this plaque on the wall. The best driver in his reel from each class has his name on it. And they have the option to come back here to be Top Gun instructors you think your name's going to be on that plaque? Yes, sir. That's pretty arrogant, considering the company you're in. Yes, sir. I like that in the pilot. Remember, when it's over out there, we're all on the same team.
1: everybody, this is Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that clip from the original 1986 version of Top Gun. That's pretty arrogant, considering the company you're in. Yes, sir. I like that in a pilot. I used that, I used that clip and I also used uh, Kenny Loggins from the movie Top Gun a Danger Zone. I used that because we have something really special today. Uh, going on and I'm I put in the second half so I I have a friend of mine who's uh Colonel Byron Sullivan call sign Shrek who just retired from the Marines after 27 years I did a uh I did an interview for a couple of hours and you're gonna hear the first half hour of it in uh at the second half of the show you'll also hear uh see if I can if I can uh, get it into the whole show next next week to finish it otherwise we'll we'll go into part three the following week. but uh, some some unique insight from someone who's uh, been defending our country, been a top gun instructor, uh, been an f-35 pi- uh, fighter pilot, along with F-14s and F-18s and and uh, all kinds of other uh, all kinds of other flying equipment that he talks about. Very, very interesting interview, and I hope you'll love it. But uh, before we do that, before we get into that, uh, because of how I had to how I had to clip it so we can fit it into uh, a reasonable amount of uh, of show, I'm gonna do the first half and talk about things that are going on as I always do, and bring uh, Byron Byron Shrek Sullivan in for the second half. So uh, before I go anywhere, let me introduce myself for those of you who don't know me. My name's Ed Hoffman. With United American Mortgage, finally the state of California got their uh, got their uh, their their wires uh, connected to where my license transferred. So I'm now with United American Mortgage. Same uh, same Ed Hoffman, different company name. Reason for that is uh, basically the uh, economy economy doing what it's doing. Mortgage companies are bleeding cash and when that happened uh my previous employer shut down all their branches in California and uh in making the transition i had to take into account what business model i thought would uh would survive the next 2 years of Joe Biden and on um i'm in i'm in that position where i just don't want to make a switch again i and i had worked for united american mortgage in the 90s before i opened up wholesale capital and it was a positive experience, but I wanted to be in control, um, and I and I moved on at that time. But uh, this is a great company; they've got great products. And uh, in fact, um, this company has an exclusive product that's that's uh, for jumbo loans, loans over six forty seven two hundred um, that are in the fives. So pretty uh, pretty unique and a uh, great company. And uh if you if you if you need help with uh with real estate financing, if you want to get involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and the opportunities are coming back, um as uh, sellers figured out that they waited too long to sell and that buyers aren't just gonna uh pay whatever whatever price you put on plus fifty thousand dollars. Um if you wanna uh if you wanna pick up a piece of property you'd like to own, if you'd like to refinance a piece of property you already own. Or if you'd like to uh, get involved in uh, one of those fantastic uh, financing programs for for people over 62 called a reverse mortgage, you want someone to talk straight and give you the straight information on it, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time dear night, toll free area code 855-640-2020. If you want to get in touch with me but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet, go to edhoffman.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo, and that'll take you to my uh, my online application. Put in as much information as you want me to have. You actually have to open up. You have actually have to uh, create an account there. So you go in, put in your put in your uh, your your email address, make a password, put in the information, do it as complete or incomplete as you want to, and. Uh, and uh you'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates will help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle um also on edhoffman.net if you hear something that you want you hear something on the show that you want repeated or you miss the show on the radio time you can uh, go to the podcast page hear this show as well with several past shows and uh listen to them on demand you can also uh uh, get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, whatever you call it depends on uh, how old you are, I guess. Used to be part of iTunes, now they call it Apple Podcasts. Uh, and you can have you can subscribe for free, have it download automatically to your computer, or your phone, or whatever device you listen to podcasts on. And uh, I record on Friday mornings. You can uh, we upload on Friday afternoon. And uh, let me see what else can I tell you. Uh, let's get on with what's going on this week. So what happened in the midterms, the results of the election day, more like election month, continue to roll in. The Republicans officially won the House as of Wednesday when Mark Garcia of, the, of California's 25th district, uh, which some of it is local. And apparently, you know, after redistricting, this, uh, this district has Santa Clarita and some of Ventura County and actually goes all the way down to, to uh, Imperial County doesn't make much sense because you got a whole whole weird weird uh weird shaped uh district there. Maybe it's uh maybe it's because of you know it's bordering the you know how however however they drew these things. I think the the Democrats redrew these things to to be a disadvantage for the Republicans, although the Democrats say that the Republicans did it. I know uh for Ken Calvert, uh he had the Inland Empire and they and they took uh Uh, Riverside and Corona and some of those uh, conservative areas and added in, uh, added in Palm Springs and Coachella Valley and added a big Democrat area, make it harder. But he pulled out the win. My uh, Mark Garcia pulled out his win on, on uh, Wednesday, and he was the 218th seat. Christy Smith, who was running against him, uh, said the Democrat party didn't support her, didn't get her on the air. And that's the reason that she lost. Of course I've heard the same th- I've heard the Republicans say the same thing. So who knows what is the reason we're going we're going to talk about that. It appears we will not take control of the Senate even before the Georgia recount. Democrats have won in Arizona and Nevada which gives them 50 seats needed and of course they've got the vice presidency to break ties. So that's all they need. Um and of course it's just peculiar to me that Arizona and Nevada um two of the places that we had had the uh, the issues with voting in 2020 happened to have uh, have been these these long recounts and these long the you know the 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 counts came in on election day republicans uh, leading for the most part and then in come the mail-in ballots that it just doesn't make sense to me you know if the if the mail-in ballots came in, number one, why don't we say, hey, if you're going to mail in your ballot, you have to mail it in early. You have to you have to be in by election day, or maybe by one day after election day. Don't give them, you know, till till a week after, um, because then then we know, hey, we're we, we counted all the election day's ballots, and we know where the and we know where they are, and now we know how many mail-in ballots need to make up the difference, and of course. Um, even though you got poll watchers, who's watching the post office? We know from 2016 that that uh, postal workers had uh, ballots ballots in their trunk. They know that, uh, and I don't want to I don't want to point a finger at poll watchers or uh, postal workers, but I'm going to because that's the fact. That's the fact. You got a lot of a lot of government workers that you know. Hey. If I give you ten thousand bucks, will you will you smuggle these things in? Sure. And maybe it's not ten thousand, and maybe it's not, and maybe it's not at the postal office. But you know, when ballots are coming in from elsewhere, just seems like there's opportunity for corruption, opportunity for cheating. And of course, if you remember when they when they did the uh, the uh, analysis of of Nevada, when they did the analysis of of Arizona while the democrats say hey you know what they they did the analysis and and they didn't find any evidence of any uh, any uh, uh uh voter fraud i don't think that's the truth they came up with with tons of voter fraud uh but the 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 media just squashed it they didn't they didn't let it be open openly uh, uh you know they they squelched the 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 publicity on it so you know, if you weren't paying attention, if you weren't, it wasn't in your face, like uh, like some of the stuff. You know, when every time every time Trump does something, something, you know, it's uh, it's all out in the media. It's all in your face, whether you want to hear it or you don't want to hear it. You're hearing it anyway. Um, I see that uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland is opening up a uh, a uh, a special counsel uh, to uh, investigate something on Trump today. I didn't even read the story. I'm just going, why? What are they doing now? They're not, they don't open up an investigation on Hunter Biden or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, anybody else. It's just continuously against Trump because the establishment seems to see him as, a, as some sort of a threat. And uh, as they should, as they should because uh, they need to be threatened because the more the more that comes out, the more we see that the establishment is, uh, you know, the swamp is, run, is running this country. They're running the... The, gover- the, the government, the elections, it's, it's not all free and fair as we, as we all always thought it was. Of course, there's a lot of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking going on when it comes to what went wrong for the Republicans. How all the predictions of a red wave failed to materialize. Was it individual campaigns? Was it where the money went? Was it Democrat election corruption? Was it the media? According to one Republican expert, it was all of the above we'll hear we'll hear from him in a minute but first let's hear what liberal tv host nbc's chuck todd thinks
2: look i think what happened is the republican party uh imploded that's what happened you had a republican party that did not provide a, a sort of a new party smell they never ran as new and improved they ran as the same thing it was in some ways re trying to relitigate 2020
1: yeah so uh they always want to they always want to point it at at 2020. Hey, we want to relitigate 2020. They always want to point at that and as if as if that's a, a bad thing. Hey, you know what? Let's not go back into that. Let's not talk about where Obama was born. Let's not talk about the 2020 election. Let's not do that even though we all know that 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 all stuff is all, all BS that that the uh, the media shamed us into just stop talking about so let's hear from someone who has some actual insight. Stephen Miller, Trump's senior policy advisor, he uh, he says there's three critical reasons Republicans lost the Senate and barely clinched the House. First, he points out that on a national scale, Republican candidates got five to six million more votes than Democrats. Okay, um, that's you know that's that may be true, but again, that's what the Democrats always say when uh, you know Hillary Clinton lost. Well, you know I got more votes than. Uh, then the Republicans, uh, I got more votes, so I should be the president, even though electoral co- electoral college is the rule. But of course, and if you look at the look at our country, everything's Republican except for uh, the the you know basically Southern California and uh, and New York. And without all those votes, well, you know, if if you look at it, basically. Uh, New York, New York City, and and Los Angeles decide everything in in the country because of of how many people are there. Which I don't know that speaks for the rest of the country. And of course, that's how the electoral co- Electoral College was was designed so that they don't. So why didn't we see a red wave? Reason
3: one: There's no such thing as Election Day anymore. And the biggest, and number one reason for that. Is Democrat mastery of mail-in balloting, vote harvesting, and the machinery of the early vote in these states where they're voting for weeks, if not months, before the election. So in very tight swing states, where it's going to be decided by a few percentage points, they can swing the outcome by collecting ballots in extremely low propensity areas and with extremely low propensity voters and bank those ballots long before Election Day ever happens. There's no such thing as Election Day anymore. Take, for example, a case like Pennsylvania. Oz leaves a bruising and bloody primary. And as is normal, what happens when you leave a bruising and bloody primary? You're going to be down in the polls against your general election opponent. So what happens? Early voting starts. Harvesting starts, unsolicited mail-in ballots are sent out for weeks when Oz is behind in the polls. When he's 10 down and then five down and then three down and then two down. When he has the debate and he wins and he comes up ahead on election day, it's too late. The old rules, the old horse race that you and I and our, and our viewers today followed their whole lives doesn't apply anymore. Yeah. When the Republican candidate closes strong, it's too late.
1: Exactly what I've been saying. If it, if it were up to me, make Election Day a national holiday and everybody votes in person. And I'm okay with, hey, if early voting's going to go on, you know, do it for a week, not for a month and a half. Reason two, Democrats were smarter with their money. And for that, we can thank Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who gave at least $6 million to Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, who didn't need it, instead of Blake Masters in Arizona, who really did need it. And we're seeing the consequences of that now.
3: The financial disparity between the Democrats and Republicans is still enormous, particularly at the top of the ticket. Here I'll use Arizona as the example. Blake Masters left his primary, and Mark Kelly had a $55 million campaign war chest, plus outside groups. They drowned Blake in the first month with $30 million in negative ads before Blake even had his first ad on TV. And in this context, we have to note the extraordinarily fateful decision on the part of the Senate leadership fund and Mitch McConnell to take the money that should have been spent in Arizona to get Blake up on TV early on and instead give it to Lisa Murkowski for a Republican battle against the Republican backed nominee in alaska and if you went to find one state with that extra six to nine million dollars would have been the difference maker that's it arizona
1: yep the swamp the, the swamp and the good old boys are run, are running the are running the country so apparently blake masters said he would he may not support uh mitch mcconnell for the head of the senate if he gets in there and has a chance to vote so mitch mcconnell just ignored it didn't support him and Followed immediately after that by a Mark Kelly commercial. So they were they sandwiched every time he had a commercial. There was a Mark Kelly commercial before and Mark Kelly afterwards. Same thing happened with uh, Katie Hobbs and uh, and Carrie Lake for the uh, gov- for the governor's race. And it's it's obvious that and you know what you would hope the people in Arizona are smarter than the people in California, but apparently not they they pay attention whoever has the most commercials whoever has the most signs out there uh you know no 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 sense in reading reading the uh the candidate statements no no use in actually researching these people and what they're about no sense in uh hey considering the source hmm who's putting out these ads about uh about these candidates who's who's supporting these things and uh, and read all the small print or listen to the little disclaimers cuz that's just a waste of time we got to we got to get get on TV and watch the uh, whoever's playing hey it's spring season no it's not spring season in Arizona it's election days at the end of the end of the year so whatever is distracting Arizona voters reason 3 democrats are better clenching on to one issue that enough swing voters are passionate about, and swing voters know that Democrats will deliver on their promises about that issue. The best example of that is the Democrats on abortion versus
3: Republicans on the border. Number three is the need to win independent voters by seizing on winning wedge issues and fighting for them with every breath that you have. Democrats do this, Republicans don't. Look at, for example, the abortion issue. Democrats don't need it to be a majority issue. They just need it to be an issue that they can target and activate the right voters with, with overwhelming enthusiasm. Every single voter in this country who cares about abortion knows with certainty that if Democrats get the House and the Senate, they will codify abortion on demand through nine months. And they know it. They absolutely know it. By contrast, Is there any voter in this country who believes that if Republicans won the House and the Senate, that they would immediately shut down the border crisis, that they would move heaven and earth, shut the government down if they had to, to seal up that southern border, to save this country from open borders. Nobody believes that. But if you just have them as election day talking points, you're not going to break through the funding disparity. You're not going to break through the media bias. You're not going to yeah. break through to independent voters. You're not going to break through to any human being alive in a swing state. And so you're yeah. going to lose these close races because the Republican brand set by Mitch McConnell on down is not exciting is not persuasive is yeah. not convincing to voters.
1: Well, with that with that in mind we think about hey, is anybody convinced that the Republicans are going to shut down the border if they do if they if they win the election? Maybe not, but we know one thing. If we put Trump in there, Trump follows up on all his promises so now we've heard heard that donald trump announced on tuesday that he will once again run for president from mar-a-lago trump held a rally for this much anticipated announcement he began talking about the way things were when he left two years ago
0: two years ago when i left office the united states stood ready for its golden age our nation was at the pinnacle of power prosperity and prestige towering above all rivals, vanquishing all enemies, and striding into the future, confident and so strong. There was never a time like this. We turned the page on decades of globalist sellouts and one-sided trade deals, lifted millions out of poverty, and together we built the greatest economy in the history of the world. When the virus hit our shores, I took decisive action and saved lives and the U.S. economy. Inflation was non existent. Our southern border was by far the strongest ever. And because the border was so tight, drugs were coming into our country at the lowest level in many, many years. Importantly, after decades of rising energy costs, the United States had finally attained the impossible dream of American energy independence, which soon would have turned into energy dominance. Instead of jobs and factories leaving America for China, they were, for the first time ever, leaving China for America. The world was at peace. America was prospering. And our country was on track for an amazing future because I made big promises to the American people. And unlike other presidents, I kept My promises, I kept them.
1: I thought his speech was focused, right on point. He didn't meander into criticizing other America, other Republicans, i.e., DeSantis, uh, violating uh, Reagan's law, Reagan's rule that you never, you never insult uh, another Republican. I thought it was excellent. Uh, Here he is with the rest of his announcement.
0: In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. We're in grave trouble. This is not a task for a politician or a conventional candidate. This is a task for a great movement that embodies the courage, confidence, and the spirit of the American people. This is a movement. This is not for any one individual. This is a job for tens of millions of proud people working together from all across the land and from all walks of life. But just as I promised in 2016, I am your voice. I am your voice. The Washington establishment wants to silence us, but we will not let them do that. What we have built together over the past six years is the greatest movement in history because it is not about politics. It's about our love for this great country, America, and we're not going to let it fail.
1: You know, we have two years to talk about this. I think, uh, I think uh, Trump is the man. Um, lots of Republicans don't agree, but we got two years to talk about it, and I'm all out of time for this half of the main event. So stay tuned for five minutes, traffic, weather, and sports, and get ready for my interview with Colonel Byron Sullivan. Call sign Shrek. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on the, on the show, but uh, if, you, uh, if you're if you in the market for a possible refinance or you want to buy a house and a piece of property that you don't own, whether it's in California or any other state, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020 Or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and uh, you go in there and uh, register your account and put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back from me, and you'll hear back, and we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. All right, I'm honored and excited to welcome a special guest this week. He's retired Colonel Byron Sullivan, call sign Shrek, who recently completed his 27 years of service as a Marine Corps fighter pilot. He's commanded at the highest levels in the Marine Corps. He has fought in combat in Iraq three times, twice in, in air, once on the ground, as a forward air controller in Ramadi, Iraq. He holds a national security strategy, master's degree from the National War College. What you'll recognize is that he's a Top Gun instructor pilot. He's got tons of insight and expertise that we as Americans can learn from. Shrek, welcome to the main event. Ed,
2: thanks a lot. Uh, very excited to be here with you today.
1: Let's talk about your real-world experience. You're the real Maverick. You're the real uh, uh, viper. You're the you know f- you were you were at Top Gun in 2004, and you were an instructor from win to win.
2: So I was a once well after I left Top Gun, I instructed as a Top Gun instructor throughout the fleet Marine in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught at the, the at the Marine Corps Weapons School, Marine Aviation Weapons and Tactics Squadron One, which they haven't made a movie about yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, on a different level, it's a much more uh, Mission oriented level at the mots one, what we call mots one. Uh-huh. Um, and where's that located? Top Gun. That's in Yuma, Arizona. Okay, so that's where you were at. So, at, so I instructed when I you. there for two years, from ten to twelve, and then uh, had command of a, of a F eighteen squadron out here in Miramar. Then I went and did my Pentagon penance, and then when I came back, where you when you met me, I was I was the commanding officer of our Marine Corps Operational Test and Evaluation Squadron One, VMX One, mm-hmm. in Yuma, Arizona. Um, That's where I started flying the uh, F-35B, which is a hovering variant. Uh, we also did the 53K, uh, the initial operational test and evaluation of that aircraft, mm-hmm. um, V-22s, Cobras, Hueys. We had everything on the flight line, so I could literally walk out and fly just about anything I wanted hey, to.
1: What, which car do I feel like taking today? That's right. Yeah, and uh, I, I, asked, I asked Trek when we were at uh, Renee's one night, I said, hey, what does it take to get a ride in one of those? He goes, you have to know how to fly it. There's only one seat. <laughs> That's right. But I want to talk about a lot of the what looks like to us civilians, just chaos in the military and what happened in Afghanistan and Ukraine. I want to talk about a lot of that, but I'm going to kind of let you go with um, the whole Middle East thing. Start from 9
2: 11. So, and, uh, okay, Ed, the interesting thing about war and when we decide to wage war militarily. Or or what? Why are we going to war? What are the national security interests that we are defending and making sure that we can continue to push forward uh, when we decide to put men and women from this country into harm's way? And um, you know, when you look at today's national security strategy, uh, it remains about the same. It's to protect the American people, expand the economy, uh, the prosperity, and the opportunity for that. Realize and defend democratic values. That the heart of the American that are at the heart of the way, American way of life. Ultimately, it's to advance the American influence with peace through strength. So when we decide, when our president decides to send us to combat, that means that three other instruments of power have failed: diplomacy, information, and economic information or uh, uh, power instruments of power have failed. We have four total instruments of power: diplomacy, information military and economic. Um, so yeah. when we decided after 9-11, we decided that it was time to go to war. Uh, what did we do? We went straight into Afghanistan. We chased down Al-Qaeda. We chased down bin Laden. I believe that that was right. I think that that was the right thing to do. Uh, how we went about that uh could have been done differently uh, in in the long term. Hindsight being twenty twenty, you know, when you read about war and you read about different conflicts that have happened, you oftentimes go, "Oh my God, that was so stupid." But at the time, it might have seemed like the right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm sitting on the border, uh, getting ready to go into Iraq uh, in my F eighteen. We didn't know if we were going to make it out. We didn't and you know. Were, and you were in Kuwait at the time. I, I was in Kuwait at the time. Okay. I mean, we got there, we were sleeping on plywood uh, the second night. The first night we were on the sand next to our F-18s. The next night we get plywood. The CBs were amazing. The little villages started popping up all over the place, and then all of a sudden, you know, we had a whole uh, Marine Air Group there ready to go to combat.
1: Uh-huh. Um, happiness is a warm fighter fighter jet. <laughs> That's right. Sounds sounds like a Beatles song. <laughs>
2: Um, and then we decided we, that it was time to go. Uh, I was on one of the very first strike missions, uh, which was uh, you know at night in the sandstorm, rolling in, dropping uh, three two thousand pound bombs of VT fuses on a, troops in a trench line. And uh, I believed at that time what we were doing was absolutely necessary to defend our nation. I believed that it was within you know in purview of our national security interests something that we needed to protect because we honestly believe that he had that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction mm-hmm. and we did not want to let our country get attacked again um, do you think do you think that we just didn't find them or he didn't have them I think it might be a little of both uh, I think that some of them might have uh, exited the country uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure and uh, but I had seen reports that, you know, aircraft left mm-hmm. into Syria and different uh, countries. And trucks. And trucks, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but ultimately, I'm going to briefly describe this because I think it helps set the stage for wh- what my experience can show to the long term. And and what that is, is we did the invasion and it was full up war. literally. We didn't know if we were coming back from any one of the missions. Uh, you know, today we look back at it and think it's a cakewalk. At the time, you were strapping on that F-18 and going into combat, and you didn't know if you were coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, and same same for the guys on the ground. Even worse for those guys. They spent 30 days in mop gear, mops, mop suits, which are chemical suits, to make sure that you don't get uh, chemmed. Because we, <laughs> we, we, no kidding, believed it. I'll tell you 100% that I was in and out of – this gear with the with the full on mask, hood, everything fully covered up, multiple times, you know, at least twenty times, mm-hmm. uh, in between missions and stuff and we'd come back. Um, so we go in, we take them down. I went back uh, about a year later, uh, on the ground as a forward air controller, and you know, for people to understand what a forward air controller does, um, I'm basically the aviation integrator between the ground side. In the air side. Mm-hmm. So I'll take what my battalion commander is. At the time, I worked uh, for 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines as their air officer. And uh, my battalion commander was a lieutenant colonel at the time, Roger Turner. Now he's, uh, he's hopefully going to become the Common Island Marine Corps. We'll see. But truly a great American. Unbelievable. I would have followed that guy in a burning building knowing that we were never coming out. Um, but he let me defend our Marines on the ground with aviation. And and knew that I was going to do it right based on the training that we had. Mm-hmm. We were in the city of Ramadi, Iraq, and we were up close and personal with the, everyone who lived there. And I can tell you that uh, they didn't want us there and we didn't want to be there. It'd be like if the Russians came into the United States and said, hey, we're going to teach you how to be communist. Right. That's not the way that they live. Um, but they understood eventually this was the first when we started doing the first elections. I remember the first one was kind of a joke. The second one was a little bit better. People actually showed up. Mm-hmm. We still took mortar rounds at all the election sites during those times. But um, but during that time, the uh, this was before the awakening. And I don't know if people remember the awakening. They call it the, uh, at the time, we were calling it the Al-Ambar Awakening. Um, but during that time... I watched the people of that country decide that they wanted their country back, okay? And what that meant was they were going to stop fighting us and start fighting the bad guys. Because what had happened after we shut down the world's third largest army, which was a horrible decision in my mind, we should have given it back to the military, helped them get it back up and running, make sure that the leadership understood if they do it again, we're going to come back and take them out. Uh-huh. But that's a different part that's just, of the story. That
1: should be the end result Right. Of all wars is take out the bad guys. Let the good guys there take over the country.
2: Take over the country. Not us. Not us. Nation building. We do not do a good job of nation building. And because um, it's not our nation. That's right. And it's not the way that the people go. And so since I've mentioned the people about four times now, what I'd like to talk about real quick is uh, it, when you really study war, you study Clausewitz as a you Know Klausowitz on War is, is a tremendous book. I recommend to read it if, if you've got time on your hands. But one of the things he talks about in there is the Trinity and it's the people, the government, and the military. Mm-hmm. And what we forget about anytime we look at combat, when anytime when we look at nations, what I think that the number one thing our people, our people, and the politicians in this country forget about are the people. And I can tell you, uh, Going into houses, talking to people that were on the streets of Ramadi, talking to people that were in their homes. I mean, these people aren't savages. They're doctors, lawyers, you know, professionals, school teachers, everything. They don't and, live in caves? No, they just wanted their city back and their uh-huh. country back. But what ended up happening was these people woke up and they said, you know what? I can remember standing in a room with a local chieftain and, and Lieutenant Colonel Turner saying, hey, look, you don't want us here. We don't want to be here. You guys need to take your city back. And the chieftain said, we've invited them here and we can't get them to leave. And he was talking about the insurgency. Mm -hmm. And about two months later, what we hear is gunfire in the streets all over the place and no one shooting at us. It was the locals taking back their country. And when I went back there in 2009, the buildings that we had blown up everywhere that we had fought, There were parks. There was hustle and bustle. You could see a thriving city in Ramadi, Iraq. Mm -hmm. And when we decided, when our politicians decided that we were just going to up and leave and leave those people hanging, that's exactly what happened. We left a void. The Iranians moved in. The Syrians uh, started their peace at the same time that civil war started. And it created this middle area where ISIS was born. And then we had to go back and do it all over again.
1: So what you're saying is what you're saying is that we should have left a small contingent of people that would just rotate throughout the years just to say, hey, we're here. That's right. We're here, don't don't mess with these people.
2: I mean we won World War Two. We still have troops in Germany, troops in Japan, all over the place. Not saying that you know that I'm a super huge fan of, uh, you know, po- uh, policing uh, states, but we have to keep our finger on the pulse, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that we have to have large amount of military personnel there. It just means that we have to have some people there that we're know gonna what's
1: going. T- we're going to take up a little real estate. We're going to keep some of our uh, some of our weapons, and uh, we're ready if if we need to go in to to help out. But hey, we're just here. That's right. We can operate. We can do all kinds of stuff from all over the all over the world. Just having a physical presence there just keeps peace
2: exactly. And it goes back to I th- one of the questions that we're going to talk about is, and if the first one on your list here is the Afghan pullout. And there is a huge difference between a withdrawal and a retreat. Mm-hmm. A withdrawal is a voluntary movement by a military to either get reset and come back in and fight again, or to simply withdraw. A retreat is, this is not good. I'm going to try and save whatever I can. We are being forced out by someone else. Okay. The way that the politicians in this country and our president got involved with the what, what should have been a withdrawal from Afghanistan Was the worst debacle I think has ever happened in this country since its birth. It it is. It it was demoralizing to every single military person that I've ever talked to, Uh, and most importantly, it was demoralizing to the folks who went there and bled for the Afghan people, just like the folks who I was with who bled for the Iraqi people when we saw the rise of ISIS. It was like, are you kidding me? What was all that for? What was all that for? And um, you know, it's a hard thing to digest from the perspective of, you know, what have we done? Why were we there in the first place? Okay? Maybe that maybe the decision to go there wasn't the right decision. Maybe the decision to go in and try and nation build in Afghanistan wasn't the right decision. I, I don't think it was. We you are not gonna change those people. Okay, they don't want what we have in this country, and that goes back to the people who are often forgotten about.
1: But George it. George W. Bush always said he thinks that the, the heart of every man is they want to be free, and if we gave them and if we gave them the opportunity that they would they would want that. Do you not agree with that to a point, or just the, we should have just stayed in? We should have just gave them an example, got rid of the bad guys, and stayed there, and just hey, we're here if you need us. Otherwise, this is your country.
2: Well, it kind of it kind of goes back to uh, one of the analogies I used to use when I was in Ramadi. You know, we would roll out of the gates with six or seven Humvees, and, and there's hustle and bustle in the streets. As soon as you get out there, it's like ghost town. Everything goes away, and the fleas just scatter. Right, and we are like the elephant chasing the flea. We had a reason to go in Afghanistan. We should have made that, made that the end state of what we needed to go do there. The idea of going into Afghanistan and pushing down al-Qaeda with a huge force that's going to be there, when do we leave? And is that when we've built the nation, when we've trained these people that, you know, Sharia law isn't the law that you're going to live by? Mm-hmm. They don't believe that.
1: Yeah, you got to go in with a, hey, what's the end game? What's our objective here? That's right. When do, when do we know it's over?
2: You know, and the per, a great example is George Bush Sr. When we pushed the Iraqis out of Kuwait, Colin Powell said, stop. We've achieved our objective. We do not need to go further north. And we stopped. And everybody, you know, he took some, some heat for that. People thought, wow, you should have went in and just taken out Saddam. You had him on the run. Everything mm-hmm. was over. I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, if that was our objective was to take out Saddam, then... That then we should have continued, mm-hmm. but in this case the objective was to free Kuwait, and that's what we ended up doing. And I think that, you know, Colin Powell did a good job of making sure that uh, that, that we stuck to that.
1: Yeah, but once, as you've said, you're you're there in war. You go in with with one objective, and you see how things are going. If we got to that point and said, "Hey, we really need to take out Saddam Hussein," or this is just going to happen as soon as we leave, and of course we're still in Kuwait, but. uh you don't think that
2: that should have happened? Um, so, uh, one of the things that people talk about is a balance of power uh, in around the globe, right? And so, sometimes, a balance of power is leaving Saddam Hussein. An example of a balance of power would be leaving Saddam Hussein in power, because if we take Saddam Hussein out, who's going to replace him? The Iran is powerful, and they are not our friends. Mm-hmm. And if we take out the guy who's fighting our friends, or, or excuse me, who's fighting our enemies, our enemies, our enemy, uh, oh, how's it go? Sometimes the enemy of your enemy is your friend. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So we needed to get him out. Well, again, once again, hindsight 2020, it just shows what taking out Saddam did to the Middle East, destabilized it, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it, it was the rise of ISIS, and that's what those people wanted. Think about this, you know, and I, I do agree with, with the idea that every human being ultimately wants to be free. But when you're an eight-year-old boy or eight-year-old girl, we'll just use boy in this example uh, because of, because of the, uh, the culture of the folks mm-hmm. that we're talking about uh, in, in that region. And you see your uncle, your dad, whoever else get killed one by uh, a U.S. bomb and one by an Iranian uh, or a Shia or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then someone comes up to you and says, hey, it's time to fight. It's time to free our nation. We are going to establish this caliphate. Read this book. It says this. This is the, what you've been, grown up being taught your entire life. What are you going to do? You're going to pick up a weapon and you're going to go fight. And you're going to go fight for what you believe in. And so the unfortunate thing is, you know, Christianity (laughs) obviously didn't grab much of a foothold in Iraq, Right. but um, you know, that's not the way that we believe. That's not what we believe. But on the flip side, you know, if someone comes into this country and does the same thing, you're going to want to fight too. Absolutely. You know, so, so I do believe that everybody wants freedom or they want what they have been taught, what they believe is freedom. Uh, and in this case, it would—it's uh, Sharia law for them.
1: But we—we uh, we have to—we go in there and just be conscious of conscious of that, and have them see, hey, we took out the bad guys, and just be conscious of, hey, this is what they are raised with. We have to show them, hey, we came to rescue you. Let them uh, go on with their beliefs and feel good about what we did. Yeah, and well, and
2: welcome that. And that's a different. That's a very difficult. Uh, thing to do, and that goes into the information aspect of of, of your instruments of power, right? Mm-hmm. So, how do we inform, and how do we make people understand that we're not the bad guys? It reminds me of like you know in Japan when we went when we were doing our island hopping campaign. Uh, the Japanese had told the locals that we are going to eat their babies, enslave their women and kill their men. And the women were literally jumping off cliffs, killing with them with themselves and their babies because they were worried that the Marines were going to come do that because the information part of war. It, right now, like y- Ukraine is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. You know, when Putin owns all of the media in Russia and he's telling the Russian people that there's Nazis in Ukraine, and we got to go denazify the Ukraine, then the people think that they have something to fight for. So yeah, I agree with you 100% in the sense that, you know, if we can inform these people, hey, we're not the enemy. Uh, We're here to we want to work together and prosper. And, and back to my original point, we did that. We had accomplished that in 2007 timeframe 2008 2006 in Iraq. The people fi- finally stopped fighting us and started fighting the insurgency. Mm-hmm. And but but when we decided to pull out and stop supporting those people who were fighting for themselves, we left them on their own. And at some point, yeah, you have to do that. But once again, I go back to Germany and Japan. We didn't just do that then, you know.
1: So we could have uh, we could have just left a small amount of troops, kept one military base. Or a couple of them, but have them skeleton staffed, just as a symbolic. Hey, we're here. Symbolic show of strength
2: and support. Yeah, the the right the right amount of people.
1: Okay, that's the first part of the interview with Byron Sullivan. Uh, you know, this the rest of the interview. We get into uh, uh, Ukraine. We get into uh, uh, Afghanistan. We get into. Uh, we even get into. Uh, uh, Top Gun Maverick. So this is a this is a great fun interview, and uh, next week next week is Thanksgiving Day weekend. So I'm going to uh, put the whole the whole show will be the uh the next part of the interview and we'll finish it up the following week so anyway uh everybody have a great thanksgiving day weekend and uh don't hurt it don't hurt each other when you're out there on uh, black friday and uh don and i will be up in uh in montana next week and uh, enjoying the snow and the beautiful scenery and some uh, thanksgiving day festivities so uh
3: my name is ed hoffman thanks for listening to the main event i'll be back again with you next week